you're constantly seeking those moments when you get that perfect light or when it you know it coincides with a perfect tide and always seeking to find a composition that maybe you haven't spotted before Welcome to the Photo Mentors podcast. This week's guest is Lucy Averill, who will be answering the same questions that I ask every other photographer and filmmaker, which then allows us to compare and contrast how different photographers and filmmakers work. Lucy is a landscape photographer based down in Cornwall who specializes in shooting seascapes. In 2020, she had a commended image in Landscape Photographer of the Year and was also shortlisted for Close-Up Photographer of the Year. Now, I first came across Lucy's work on Instagram one day and was immediately struck by the kind of minimalism and simplicity of some of her seascape images. They really are a great combination of sand and sea and sky. She's got a real eye for spotting patterns and textures and detail, and I'd really urge all of you to check out her Instagram account. I will put a link in the description for this episode. Now, enough of me talking. Let's crack on and hear Lucy's answers to the questions so lucy thank you for joining us on the photo mentors podcast as you know as you've obviously listened to every single episode so far um we start by asking a few little questions just to get to know you a little bit more um, before we delve into the kind of deep and meaningful ones so first up what was your first camera my first camera was actually a kodak instamatic and it was my ninth birthday present. And it was one of those cameras which had the old uh, 126 cartridges with the little flash cubes that sat on the top. Yep. And yeah, so I, I really loved that camera. And I, I know I've got albums full of blurred photographs and heads chopped off and people stuck in the middle. But hopefully I've moved on a bit from there. <laughs> it was exactly the same. Mine was also a Kodak Instamatic. Yeah, it was kind of standard for those times, wasn't it? And they were easy as well when you were a kid just to put the cartridge in. And I guess Absolutely. that's why mums and dads were buying them for us. So like you said, things have moved on. You're leaving the house right now. What camera... And what lens are coming with you? You can only pick one lens. Okay, well, my camera of choice would be uh, my Canon 5DSR. And my lens of choice would be the 24 to 70 because I just find that it's such a sharp lens. And that would give me enough range to probably take the images that I could, that I would want to take. Um, so that was what I would grab quickly if I left the house now. And what about non-photographic items in your camera bag? Well, I feel the cold quite a lot and I find if I'm cold, I don't really want to stay out. So at the moment, you'd find a woolly hat, um, some gloves, probably, you know, like ski gloves because they're slightly waterproof. Yeah. And the little hand warmers that you put in. Um, if I can keep my hands warm, then I can operate the camera and I'm likely to stay out for much longer. Yeah, I know that feeling. You can kind of put up with a bit of cold everywhere else if you're concentrating on taking a photograph it's almost like you don't feel the cold anywhere like you don't necessarily feel it on your your legs or your chest or your yeah. head or wherever but the second you feel it in your fingertips you're like oh right i want to get back in the car now or i'm going home. and then you sort of start to drop things don't you or you know lens caps and yeah. filters become a bit precarious so i just have to be able to be warm and then i'm happy um so i i'm gonna i'm gonna have a stab that i know the answer to this but where is your favorite place to take photographs all right well i'll see if you're right well i mean we're obviously spoilt for choice down here in cornwall but 
My favourite place is Gwythian Beach. Was I right? Is that what you guessed? I was going to say the coast. So um, as a general rule, I was right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Gwythian Beach is just amazing and it's it's about three miles long and it, it meets at the other end with Hale Towns where the estuary goes out to the sea. And just all along that stretch of beach, there's so much to photograph. You could spend days and days just on that stretch of beach. So that's my go-to place. And it's the first place I intend to go back to after lockdown. So what is it about the, the coast and the beach and the sea that you love so much? Because it obviously features very heavily in your in your images. Mm, yeah, well, I think it's just the sense of space is really important to me. Um, and that's because it's become very, very important that I get out and have my own headspace. I like the light, you know, because we have water on, we're a peninsula, we have water on nearly all sides. The light down here is, is quite incredible. And it's the, the you know, the, the expanse of beach, the wet, wet sand, so you can get the reflections. It's the rock formations. There's just so much here um, that you just never get bored, really. You said something that was quite interesting, which was about it being a bit of an escape and to get some headspace. Mm. Yeah. How it talked to me a little bit about that because that's something that I I never thought about it before until about a year ago, and then I realised I actually like being out taking photographs as much as I like getting the photograph. If you know what I mean, it's as much as the exploration. Yeah. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's very important to me. I, I used to be a primary school teacher, and um, I found it was such a busy job. I had young children, and actually going out with my camera meant that for I wasn't somebody's teacher, I wasn't somebody's mum or somebody's wife. And I just forgot about everything else. And you hear lots, don't you, these days about mindfulness. And I guess that's what it was, although I didn't have a name for it then. It just allowed me to to just do what I wanted to do. And I always felt so much better when I came back home afterwards. It's just really important. Yeah, I always find also just actually just being in the car as well. It sounds dark, but, you know, before you've even stepped out, just that process of just being in this little sort of cocoon of a car and having the radio on or some music. And it's one Mm. of the few times where, we, yeah, we we can stop and we can actually just think and take a a break. And, um, yeah, it can be a bit frustrating when we don't get the image that we want necessarily or we just miss sunset or we're 15 minutes too late and we miss the shot that we plan to get but Absolutely. at the same time you you regret that maybe but you never regret actually going out in the first place I don't think I've Absolutely. ever regretted going out to take photos I may have just been no. a bit annoyed I didn't get the shot yeah absolutely um and you know as you say you, you've got the car to yourself you can have what you want on the radio and you don't have to talk to anybody which probably sounds really antisocial but <laughs> if you've had a busy day you know or you've got family around you young children whatever just not having to talk to anybody and know that you can drive somewhere that you want to be it's lovely isn't it it is yeah yeah absolutely now very deep and meaningful question how many camera bags do you own (laughs) well this is a huge family joke (sighs) they all make fun of me because i still maintain there isn't the perfect camera bag and (laughs) on my last count i think i found seven now, pretty good. this does range, well, it's not too bad, is it? It does range from having a rucksack that you can put the whole kit in to having just smaller bags to take one camera out or whatever. But I'm actually, I'm not very tall and I'm, I'm quite a slight build. And so camera bags to me are just uncomfortable. They're not made to fit. And we don't have the camera shops down here to go and try them out. So it's all a little bit hit and miss if you're ordering online. 
So any recommendations from anybody for the perfect camera bag? I'm, I'm really listening for it because I could do with one. There are so many out there. It's um, from working yeah. at Amateur Photographer Magazine, There, the stock cupboard was probably about two thirds camera bags because they take sure. up so much size when you mm. get sent a backpack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then it's very hard to differentiate or, or you kind of, I like that bag because it's got the, the pouch on that side, but I like that one because I can put my tripod in the side better or yeah. I can put it. And then you, like you say, you end up buying a bag because it works with the tripod, but then you don't use that tripod anymore and you still That's can't right. get rid of the bag. And Absolutely. They do take up huge amounts of space, don't they? I've got them, you know, stored away. And um, I, I don't own up to having another one. If I buy one, mm. I, I, no, I normally sort of it use it for a while and sneak it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how, is that a new bet? No, no, no. I've had this one a while. <laughs> yeah, no, keep it in the boot of the car. That's what I do. Absolutely. Um, Good okay, idea. let's crack on with some of the deep questions now. Um, what photo have you taken that means the most to you? It's quite hard, isn't it, to pick one, but I've had to think about this and it's the one I've chosen isn't actually typical of my style of work, but it's one that brings back really great memories. And it's a black and white image of trees in snow. And part of the reason why I like the image is because we so rarely have snow in Cornwall. I've spent the winter jealously looking at everybody's snow images but this was from about three years ago I think when we had the beast from the east and I knew I couldn't take the car out because I live in a very rural part the lanes just would be too slippery so I actually planned to walk down to the beach to see what St Michael's Mount looked like um, but on the way I got sidetracked because I walked past these fields and this group of trees which I walked past most days were obviously covered in snow and began to look rather lovely. So I went into the fields and I must have been there a couple of hours. Initially, it was the where the field had been ploughed, all the furrows looked really great because they filled up with snow and then the sun came out, so you had really unusual shadows. I, I looked in the distance and I could see another clump of trees. And by moving myself just along a little bit, I actually framed the clump of trees in the distance between the branches of these trees. Um, these trees are typically Cornish. They're very stunted, they're windblown. They're actually quite ugly trees, but they did take on, you know, a, a, well, they became quite beautiful in the snow. And I, it was always a black and white image in my mind. And people have said it actually reminds them of a pencil drawing because the little wispy branches that you get against the snow, they do look like little pencil lines. And that that was the image that really stood out to me as being a favourite, just because it was quite rare for down here. And I don't often get the opportunity to shoot, you know, photographs in snow, really. And like you say, often it's, it's not the image necessarily you think you're going to take that you end up taking. And it's those unexpected little surprises, I think, yeah. that make it such yeah. a... A hobby that's a, as much about exploration than anything else really well that's what makes it quite exciting really isn't it yeah and, and somebody had said to me fairly recently on instagram oh have you ever thought about taking photographs of these trees from the same viewpoint at different times of the year and at, at the time that it was suggested it was full of cabbages it was particularly <laughs> unattractive and then a few days later i'd walked past and there were people in the field picking the cabbages and they, they dumped a portaloo in front of the trees. <laughs> so, you know, from something really beautiful to something really quite ugly. 
Uh, perhaps I should have taken the photograph. I've got to say, it would have been quite humorous. Just, <laughs> yeah, um, it would have done. Yeah, and a lesson to always keep your eye out because, you know, things change pretty quickly. They do. Um, what has been your best photographic accessory purchase? I have to say, I think it's probably my filters. I have a, or well, I didn't count this as one of the bags, but I do have a little bag <laughs> of filters. Um, uh, I, I use graduated filters. I have a polarising filter and I use ND filters. I know you can replicate lots of this in Photoshop or Lightroom, but I actually like trying it out, you know, in the field, in the, in the camera. You can actually see the effects at the time and that I actually quite enjoy. The polarizer allows me to get the, the um, lovely reflections. It allows you to get the... Um, it really enhances the detail, I think, in the wet sand. And I don't think you can probably replicate that. And well, I couldn't anyway. Not in Lightroom or Photoshop. No. I also like the ND filters because it allows you to be a little bit more creative. You know, you can slow the water down or make the clouds merge in the sky. And I, I just really like playing around with those more than I enjoyed sitting in front of the computer afterwards. So I would say that's probably my favourite purchase. You know, my accessory purchase. And what are you currently learning? Or what was the last thing that you learned? Well, in the first lockdown, I signed up for a couple of online bookmaking courses with Lizzie Shepherd and Alex Hare because I thought it would be a lovely project to make a few books to put some photographs in. But what I hadn't realised, it was actually so much more than just making a photo book. Yeah. Because a great deal of what you get to think about is how you would group images together. And I found it was almost a lesson in how you curate images, images that have been on the hard drive that, you know, you, you have to really look at them. How do they go together? Do they flow, the colour, the, the form, everything? And it forces you to think about that. And I found that I came across images that I might not have printed as individual images but when they were placed together with others in that theme, they worked really well as a book. Um, I'd, um, I'd actually taken some images at Hauser and Worth. I don't know if you know that. It's an art no. gallery. and they have a, No, it's in Somerset. They have a beautiful garden. And I'd visited one autumn. And I, you know, I got quite abstract images, some of them. I wouldn't have printed them. But I was really pleased with the books, you know, just actually getting them together and curating it, really. And I find as well that... Although that was in the first lockdown, when I'm out photographing, when I can go out photographing, I'm actually thinking about making a book as I'm photographing. So images, I might look for the you know the bigger picture, the grander picture, but then I'm looking for other ways that I might fit images together for a potential book in the future. So it, it's kind of changed my thinking, really. And what's really nice is that you end up with a nice little photo book as well. So, you know, it's win-win, really. So who or what has been the biggest influence on your photography? Well, obviously living where I do by the sea has influenced my work immensely. I haven't always lived by the sea. Um, I went to Brighton as a student and spent five years there. And that was the first time I lived by the sea. And then I moved down to Cornwall. So most of my adult life has actually been here. And that obviously does really affect and shape my photography. But there have been people who have been influences as well. 
And I think probably one of the biggest influences is actually my brother, my brother, Andrew Moxham. He's a black and white photographer and he's always shot film and medium format cameras. He's processed and made his own prints in the darkroom. And that wasn't really something I wanted to do ever. Um, But he then bought a digital camera and he lives in America, but he brought it over one summer. And I think it was that immediacy of seeing what you've taken on the screen that kind of grabbed my attention. And I found that quite intriguing. And that's really the start of, of me taking photographs. So, I mean, whether I would have come to it on my own, I don't know. But he, because he's so good at the technical side, when I was first starting out, I didn't have a clue. And he was, he was really good at helping me out with those technical details. He would buy me books and he would chat to me over the phone. And, you know, that was a really good start for me. Um, and then, you know, I, I began to get what he found so intriguing with photography. I can remember going, going over to visit him and we went to the Grand Canyon one year. And he was sort of tapping on my door at five in the morning. He said, come on, let's go and watch the sunrise. And I'm thinking, we're on holiday. You're absolutely mad. But I, I got it. I, you know, I could really see what it was that got him so excited. And, and it, it was, it was really magical. Um, so I suppose it's thanks to him that I got started, really. Um, and I'm also lucky that my husband's a painter and he taught fine art at the university for many years. And so when I kind of grasped the technical side of it a little bit more, I needed perhaps help with composition and other things like that. And I suppose in his role as a lecturer and an artist himself, we were able to have those sorts of conversations, which hadn't we hadn't really had before, I suppose. So I'm quite lucky the people in my life who have encouraged me along the way, really. Uh, especially at the start so yeah so what photographic technique do you wish you knew much earlier well I think it's probably learning how to print well Um, I did always print photographs but I realized now I didn't always print them very well and you know making a good print actually seeing your work in front of you holding it in your hand is I find much more exciting than seeing it just on the screen. You notice bits of detail that perhaps you still don't recognise on screen. You can look really closely. Um, And it's, I didn't really understand the idea of printing in terms of soft proofing and how you process an image depending on the paper that you use. So actually learning how to do that is something that's made quite a difference, I think, to my work. And it's something that I really enjoy doing now. Do you print at home or do you use a service? Do you have anybody you trust? No, I print it at home, actually. Um, yeah. I I um, recently bought a, an A2 printer. I don't often print at A2, but it just gives me that scope if I want to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm using the uh, sort of soft textured papers, the matte papers, which I really like the way it brings out the detail in the work. I remember we got an A. We were doing an A2 printer test at um, Amateur Photographer Magazine. And I, I volunteered very, very quickly to do that. Nobody else liked doing printer tests because they're quite hard work. Because mm. um, there's so many sort of fine details to get right of it. 
And yeah, once I had everything nicely calibrated, I had these two printers lined up and was literally just going through my portfolio, just making as many A2 prints as I possibly could. Oh, don't blame you. Because it can be expensive. You make If you make mistakes, it can be expensive. Yeah, but absolutely. But then once you, as you say, you've got it all calibrated and you've got it worked out, it's it's it works out much cheaper. What is your favourite photographic failure and what did you learn from it? Well, I'm not sure that it's a favourite, but it's possibly the most spectacular failure I've had. And that was um, quite a long time ago now, it was back in 2010, but I had a little bit of an altercation with a wave. Oh, no. Yeah, I was photographing on a beach near here, Port Leven Beach, and I was actually standing a long way back and the tide was on its way out. And um, I had the camera on the tripod and I was looking in my camera bag for a filter and all of a sudden this wave came rushing up towards me, over, you know, splashed over me. And so I, I thought, well, okay, I'm wet, never mind. But I held the camera and the tripod up in the air thinking that I, at least I would save them. But it's a shingle beach, which is quite unusual oh, no. down here. Yeah, so as the wave retreated, it kind of dragged all of the shingle from under my feet and I just, I don't know whether I did do it in slow motion or not, but I couldn't stop myself from falling. So we all went for a swim. Um, my, my filters washed away somewhere. Camera bag was filled with water. Camera was under. Oh, it's dreadful. And I was obviously quite shocked. I, I just went straight back to the car, drove home. And it was only when I was on the doorstep waiting to take my boots off. I hadn't even taken my welly boots off. And when I took them off, I realised they were actually still full of water. I hadn't, wow. hadn't realised. Um, so what did I learn? Well, obviously, you've got to watch out for those rogue waves and never take your eye off the water. But it actually knocked my confidence for, for a long, long time. I could not go near the edge of the water. Uh, I kept right back. And in doing so, I suppose that's when... I found that I liked the cloud reflections in the wet sand. So I would seek mm-hmm. out the wet sand, but I would be way, way back from the edge of the water. And yeah, I made quite a few images at that time in that style. So it was, you know, a hard lesson to learn and I wouldn't want to repeat it. And I suppose I was quite lucky that it was just my camera kit that was ruined. But um, I, I did you know, make some interesting work afterwards. That's why I asked these questions, because it's such a great thing that you you learned some from and you adapted your style all because of something that was a obviously a, a big negative that's then turned into a bit of a positive as you you spot something else again on the landscape because you've kind of had to force yourself to step back a little bit we've all we've all been there though i remember scrambling down to take some photographs at, um down at hastings on a beach where it says you know please do not come on this beach i'm i'm that idiot who um tries to sort of scramble down yeah. the rocks to get there um and yeah, I had my, I, I've done it a couple of times actually. Um, luckily, usually out in a in the woods or something like that, where I leave my camera on the tripod and think it's nice and securely locked on the on the plate, and then scrambling oh. up the rocks, I just hit the catch and sort oh, of no. in slow motion, my yeah. my Nikon just bang bang crash down below and uh yeah usually it's luckily, so easily done isn't it it is and it only takes a couple of feet when you're on on rock yeah. you know in the woods it doesn't really matter too much you, you get mm. it get a bit muddy but um yeah the second you start talking coastlines the 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 mistakes seem to get a lot more expensive than they do when you're kind they of do. out on the moors or something 
what have you stopped doing and why have you stopped doing it well it's something i've stopped doing is you know how sometimes you plan a shoot you look at the weather forecast you check in the tides and you give yourself the time to go out and you've got the shot in mind and there are times that despite all the planning and everything else it just doesn't happen for whatever reason you know that that cloud bank appears and it spoils what you're looking for but I used to really beat myself up about that and get quite frustrated I think particularly when I had less time when I was working and maybe you really had a finite period of time that you could go out I I would get quite uptight about it but now I don't I take the pressure off myself and I try and adapt. I think we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? If you don't see what you initially went out for, I do try and adapt. Maybe it's not the big picture. Maybe it's the detail that is going to be the picture of the day. Maybe I don't come back with anything. But I just try and make sure I enjoy being out. And it's like you've said, you don't regret being out, but you do regret the times you don't go out, even if you don't get the shot you planned for. And I think sometimes it's good to go with the flow anyway. I think... Otherwise, you're not receptive to other things, are you? So, no. you know, have a plan, great. But if it doesn't work out, try and be receptive to what else is around you and, and work with what you have. So what has been your favourite photography project? I think probably my favourite project is um, the series of boat reflections. that I've, I've been doing them again more recently, well, before lockdown, but I actually started them around about 2010. At that time, I was fairly new to photography so most of my images were probably recognizable beaches and everything else but I visited the harbour at St Ives where you can actually walk in around in amongst the boats when the tide is low mm-hmm. yeah. and you know where you've got the ripples left in the sand it filled with water and I found that I got some really quite unusual abstracts and then in Penzance Harbour where you can't walk in amongst the boats it's the big fishing boats there but again, I got some more abstracty type of shots, which I really liked. And it's something that I returned to a couple of years ago and started adding to it again. And, it, you know, it's done quite well for me. I've, and I've really enjoyed making the images as well. And one of the boats that I photographed, it was in the dry dock. It's actually in water, but it's, you know, in the dry dock, having some work done to it. And it was probably the last shoot I had before lockdown. And it was one of those... You know, really still mornings, not a cloud in the sky. It wasn't particularly great for my type of coastal shooting. It was, there wasn't, any, you know, there weren't any clouds around. But I went to the harbour and the and the reflections. It was just like a mirror, absolutely perfectly still. And that image, one of the images, did quite well for me. And it was in the local newspaper. And somebody contacted me via Instagram, and he said that he was the owner of this boat. And his mother had seen the photograph in the local paper. Mm. So um, I'm part of a collective in a gallery in Marazion. And on one of the days that I was in the gallery, he came in to see me. So we had a really nice little chat. And uh, he was just a young guy. And I think he you know, put a lot of effort into getting this boat up and ready to do his fishing. So I gave him, I gave him a print. And then he, he got in touch again and showed me it. He put it on his wall. And that was just really nice to see that... You know, I would never have met the owner normally, but the yeah. fact he contacted me and came to meet me as well was really nice. 
But that's that's something, again, that once we're out of lockdown and I know that I can go to the harbour and not worry about it, I really want to go back because I've got some other ideas but just can't get to it at the moment. So It's a great project. I really like it. I'm quite attracted to images that are very obviously bright and colourful but I like lines and mm. patterns and shapes and things that are quite graphic and abstract. It's a bit like, a, it, to me, it's almost like graphic design. Yes. Kind of... Um, they really stand out because you do a double take as to what exactly it is and it takes a second to to sort of twig go all oh, right i get it and it's i like that because one it's clever they're beautiful kind of almost pieces of art to go on the wall in terms of being very sort of graphic and i think sometimes with a landscape the landscape has to meet you can take a nice landscape it can go on the wall and I always think the landscapes that people should be putting on their walls should mean something to mm. them but when you've got something like those images it's great because they're just really nice graphic pieces that would look great as large prints on on anybody's wall yeah. because the, because of the colors and the shapes and the textures and i think as well it's the fact that you know you could go back another day that boat wouldn't be there you'd never see it in that situation again yeah um and that's that's what i quite like as well finding and and if the wind had picked up slightly it wouldn't have been mirror like it would have been a completely different image so you know, it, that's the exciting thing for me is that you never quite know what you're going to get. So what is the worst bit of photographic advice that you've ever heard? Well, I actually heard this a couple of weeks ago um, and somebody had said that in their opinion, flower photography shouldn't be in black and white. Mm. Well, <laughs> it struck a chord with me because I'd actually, I'd actually just started following a photographer on Instagram couple of them actually but this one was is fran kits i don't know if you've seen the work i haven't no well they produce really astonishing you know gorgeous black and white flower images very low key very dark but absolutely stunning and then again another uh, photographer i'd followed was somebody called Altio mono i don't know if i've said that correctly but they were very high key flower images in black and white and they're just so exquisite both of them that you can't imagine that they those particular ones would work in colour. I mean, I love colour, and I, I, I you know, I like colour flower images, but these just worked perfectly in black and white. So it actually makes me want to go and do a black and white flower project just to prove this this person wrong mm. who said that they shouldn't be shooting them in black and white because it just feels, I don't know, it just feels a bit narrow-minded, doesn't it? Okay, so final question. Why do you keep taking photographs? What's your motivation? Well, I think as photographers, and I know certainly it's the way I feel, is that you're constantly seeking those moments when you get that perfect light or when it, you know, it coincides with a perfect tide and always seeking to find a composition that maybe you hadn't spotted before or to improve on something. And... As I've said before, I like it because it gets me out. It, it makes me go outside and I have space to do what I want to do, think what I think. And, you know, it's not easy, is it, getting that photograph where everything comes together. So when it does work, there is that sense of achievement. It's, it's, it's a great feeling. And when you talk to people who aren't photographers, I know that, as I say, I've I'm sometimes in the little gallery in Marazion and, and people come in and they chat to you about how you took the photograph and they are genuinely surprised at how much work and effort sometimes goes into it 
and how many times, you know, you might go back three, four, five, six times. I went back four times in one week to a field of, of these flowers and it just wasn't right. Every time I went, the light wasn't right or it's too windy. And I knew I had to keep going back because they were going to be ploughed in. So when I actually explained that to somebody in the gallery, they were they were genuinely quite shocked. They just thought you turned up, took the photograph and that was it. And the camera makes the photographs, you know, because you have a nice camera, it must take nice photographs. Um, so when it does all come together, it's just that wonderful feeling. And that's what motivates me is just to keep going out and trying to get that wonderful light. Lucy, that is the perfect way to end this episode. Thank you very much for coming on and answering the questions on the Photo Mentors podcast. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. And that's it. We've done another episode. If you liked it, then please hit subscribe. And of course, we will be back very soon with the next episode. Thanks for listening.